Hello everyone, my name is Lee Sims and welcome to the Striking Thoughts podcast. So for the first podcast I have decided to share my views on some issues surrounding Karate Kata. In particular I'm going to look at the connection between Kata and Kumite, the purpose of Kata and the limitations of Kata training. Now just a few bits of news before I get started. I just want to make you all aware that I will be teaching a seminar alongside Ian Abernethy on the 25th of March this year. The details of which are on my website, www.leesims.com. There's also a Facebook events page set up. So if you go to Facebook and search for Lee Sims and Ian Abernethy seminar, it will appear there for you. Okay then, so without further ado, I give you episode one on Kata. I think it is important to start by defining what I mean when I use the term kata. For the purposes of this podcast, I will be talking about the kata which are widely practiced in the main systems today, these being Wadaru, Shotokan, Gojuru, and Shitoru. Now, some specific examples of kata which I'm talking about would be kata such as Basai Pasai, Seishan Hongetsu, and Naihanchi Teki. So the first topic is the connection between kata and kumite. Now many clubs practice both kata and kumite, but there isn't a connection between the two forms of practice. Now before I go any further, I do want to define what I mean by the word kumite. Now whilst this word can be translated to sparring, not every club spars in the same way. And back when I was training in Shotokan, the sparring was very much sport-based. Now what I mean by that is the stop and start point-based sparring which you often have associated with WKF competitions. Even the free sparring we would do in class was based on this kind of point-based sparring. This idea of you know one blow, one kill. So you'd move around, you'd go in for one technique and then you'd retreat out again. And for ease of reference now going forward I will call this sport-based sparring. And although it's not universal and I do think times are changing in the karate world, I think it's fair to say that most karate clubs still spar in this way or in a similar way, even if they don't necessarily compete in competitions. Fortunately, due to the progress of my karate, the way my club spars now means that we do use the techniques found in kata. However, I am aware that there is still a vast number of clubs today that still have a disconnect between the techniques they train in kata and the techniques they use in kumite. When the question of why we don't see a lot of kata techniques used in sparring is raised, some karate practitioners get defensive, and I have seen them respond with comments such as these. Okay, so we have, when training for kumite, look to kata for the answers. And, if you look close enough, you'll see the movements from kata in kumite. Now the problem with these kinds of comments are that they lack any evidence to back up their point. A quick YouTube search of a WKF tournament bout will provide you with enough evidence to dismiss this point. It may be the case that the people who provide these comments do train in a different way to the sport-based kumite I mentioned earlier. And if that's the case, then the comments may be correct, but I still disagree in which way these points are made. I think phrases like this come across as quasi-mystical and they only serve to blur the path for those who are trying to learn and improve their training. Now unlike some of the quasi-mystical quotes we see provided, 
Some karate practitioners do see a connection between kata and sport-based sparring, and they will provide some kind of argument to back up their view. For example, they will say that the reverse punches and front kicks are found in kata, and therefore, as they're used in kumite, that creates a connection between the kata and the sparring that they do. Now, the problem with this argument is that it does not take into account the reason for the other techniques found in kata, and the volume of certain techniques found in kata. For example, let's look at Pinan Shodan, Hiyan Nidan Kata. Now this is one of the first katas somebody will usually learn when they're starting their karate journey. And in this kata there are around 25 to 27 moves, depending on how you count an individual move. And seven of these are the Shitoke move, the, the knife hands. So around one quarter of the kata is a technique that rarely appears in most sports sparring, let alone appears a quarter of the time. Now in comparison, Pinan Shodan includes two reverse punches. Now considering the frequency of the reverse punch in sport-based sparring, you have to wonder where the other techniques which you see in kata are found, because they're not found in most dojos when they spar today. Now you could argue that the kata can't just teach two or three moves, and I do get that point. But even then, there should be a, a frequency of the techniques found in kata matching kumite. And also, you know, if you look at the first six moves of Pinan Shodan, He and Nidan, where are they found in Kumite? Why aren't reverse punches found at the start of He and Nidan, Pinan Shodan? Why aren't front kicks found there, roundhouse kicks? Now, on top of that point, the techniques found in sports sparring do not correlate with the techniques found in Kata. So I chose one WKF World Championship final to study. And the techniques that were performed were as follows. Reverse punch to the head and body. Lead punch to the head. Foot sweep. Roundhouse kick and reverse roundhouse kick. That's it. There were no Gidanburai, no Shuto, no Agyuki, and so on. Now, out of interest, I also watched a JKA World Championship match. And the only difference here was that there was one front kick also executed. Some of the most common techniques, you know, such as roundhouse kicks, which are frequently used in sports sparring, are not even in the traditional kata. Now, the lack of sport-based sparring techniques found in kata and the quantity of kata techniques not found in sports sparring should be sufficient evidence for the lack of connection between the two training methods. Despite this, some will argue that kata teaches movements and transitions between stances that are useful in kumite. Now whilst I disagree with this, and I'll explain why later, even if I didn't, and I granted that kata teaches this, then clearly practicing these movements with the techniques such as reverse punches and those not even found in kata, such as reverse roundhouse kicks, is a more efficient and direct form of training. Therefore, at best, those who hold this view can only argue that kata is a severely inefficient form of training. Some clubs have disregarded kata for this reason, and others have created new kata to match what they do in their sparring. Now, whilst I do respect this, I think they are missing out on what kata were originally designed for. Now, non-karate practitioners also suffer the same issue, as they look at how kata is practiced, and they come to the conclusion that it is useless and the training time would be better spent on other training methods. And there are other karate practitioners who will agree that there's not a connection between sports-style sparring and kata, but there is a connection between kata and free sparring. And when I say free sparring, I'm talking about the more inclusive sparring that you see in you know, MMA mixed martial art bouts. And as karate continues to change and develop, 
more clubs are practicing a more inclusive form of kumite, and they are finding uses for some of the moves in the kata that they previously did not see due to the rules and regulations which shape and limit how most clubs spar. There are some fantastic videos that have been put online actually, which compare the motions of traditional kata with techniques used in high-level MMA. Now this seems to give the techniques in kata a breath of life and usefulness which it did not have before. However, I find these kind of videos just add to the confusion on what the techniques in kata were actually designed for. Unlike sport-based sparring, MMA-style sparring has less regulations on the types of techniques it allows. For example, in MMA you can throw, lock, choke, fight from within a clinch. Therefore, there will be a larger crossover of techniques from the traditional karate kata. However, most MMA-style sparring still includes roundhouse kicks and other techniques which are not found in kata, such as intricate submission escapes. And there are still a lot of kata techniques that are not found in MMA. Therefore, I think it is false and incorrect to say that kata techniques are exclusively for MMA-style sparring. The reason that there is a disconnect between kata and kumite whether that's sports sparring or MMA style sparring, is that kata were never designed to be used against another trained martial artist. And I think it's good here to refer to a quote from Chukimotobu. He wrote that techniques of the kata were never developed to be used against a professional fighter in an arena or on a battlefield. They were, however, most effective against someone who had no idea of the strategy being used to counter their aggressive behavior. I'll just repeat that again. The techniques of kata were never developed to be used against a professional fighter in an arena or on a battlefield. They were, however, most effective against someone who has no idea of the strategy being used to counter their aggressive behavior. The techniques in kata were designed for non-consensual violence, not for mutual combat with a fellow karate practitioner. The long-range back-and-forth dueling found in most sparring is not the right environment for the use of a lot of the techniques found in kata, as they were not designed and created for that purpose. If there's a disconnect between your kata and kumite, the chances are you need to include another type of sparring to your practice. In order to make use of the techniques in kata to the fullest, we need to recreate sparring, which reflects actual real-world violence. Now how to structure this kind of sparring is beyond the scope of this podcast, but it is important to understand that sports sparring and MMA style sparring can bring many benefits and develop many skills, but it is not the optimum type of training to pressure test and make full use of the techniques found in kata. For that, we need sparring that actually reflects the real world non-consensual violence. And now on to the second topic, the purpose of kata. Kata is a vehicle of recording information. More importantly, it's a vehicle for carrying information from one person to another person or from one generation to the next generation. So let's start with an analogy here. If we can imagine a train made up of a number of carriages traveling from point A to point B, the train represents the kata and the carriages represent the individual techniques of the kata. Now the purpose of a train isn't to transport the carriages from one place to another. It's to transport the contents of those carriages, whether that being cargo or people. The same goes with kata. 
It is not the techniques themselves which are of critical importance. It is the principles and concepts contained within those techniques. That is not to say that the techniques themselves are not important. They are. Just as a train needs carriages to transport the people, the kata needs techniques to transport those concepts. If you just learn the techniques found in the kata, then you are limiting yourself to a finite number of techniques you can do. But if you learn the concepts of those techniques, you can then use those concepts to create an abundance of techniques. This is how a single kata can record a whole fighting system without the need for any other kata. Nowadays, most clubs teach a large number of kata to their students, yet most kata on their own will have enough techniques that include the major fighting concepts required to actively and successfully defend yourself. I'm not here to say that there aren't many benefits from practicing more than one kata, or that the only reason we should learn kata is so that we can pass the information on from one generation to the next. Obviously, people train for different reasons, and there are many supplementary benefits to training kata. But to make the most out of the kata we have, we need to understand that their purpose is to pass on key combative fighting concepts that deal with non-consensual violence. Now, regardless of the reasons for training kata, we must not be blind to the limitations that inherently come with solo kata training. Limitations of kata. One criticism of kata training is that it, it is not useful in developing fighting skills as it is not a form of practice against a resisting training partner. Now personally, I don't see that as a valid criticism of kata as the point of kata in general is not to develop fighting skills. The point of kata is to transfer and record key fighting concepts. However, I do acknowledge that kata does play a part in helping to develop fighting skills. But we must remember that kata is just a useful tool and it does have its limitations. It should not be the only training method we use and rely on should we wish to develop good fighting skills. Kata should be used alongside partner work and impact development. One of my instructors, Ian Abernethy, calls this the training matrix. And I'll provide you with my version and interpretation of this now. Solo kata is a form of solo training which is useful as it allows for concentration on body awareness as well as full mental commitment to the techniques we perform. There are many techniques that are too dangerous to practice at full speed against a resisting training partner. And solo training is a great way to fully commit to those techniques without the worry of hurting your partner. But solo training on its own is not enough. We must also practice against a training partner. This can be done against a compliant partner first and then gradually the training partner can begin to resist the techniques we, we are performing and we can build the training up to a point where we're at full resistance with our partner. But partner work is a problem as well because the student who's performing the techniques is not able to fully commit to those techniques due to the risk of injury to the training partner. So we need another form of training. In order to compensate for this, then impact development training is necessary. Now this can come in many different shapes and sizes. From makiwara to focus pads, to kick shields, to head guards and body armor. And while solo training and partner work are essential, they are not able to provide confirmation that the student can strike with enough impact to be efficient, effective, and eventually safe from harm. Luckily, impact development training is here to fill that void. 
Now, of course, this kind of training does not provide the exact targets like a person does, nor is it capable of allowing the students to go all out, as most impact development training will involve a partner holding pads and you will either consciously or unconsciously be holding back your power out of safety for your training partner. But as I've just mentioned, we can fill these gaps with the solo training and partner work. It is only when this, what I call training trinity of solo work, partner work and impact development is in place that we can understand the use of kata in the larger training methodology. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a five-star rating on iTunes, and share the link to this podcast with your friends and family. If you wish to leave feedback on this episode or have any suggestions for future episodes and or future guests, then please email me at lee, that's L-E-I-G-H, at leesims, L-E-I-G-H-S-I-M-M-S dot com. Alternatively, you can tweet me at Lee Sims, and you can also find me on Facebook if you search for Lee Sims Progressive Karate. Finally, to stay up to date on upcoming events, seminars, as well as new videos, articles, and podcasts, you can head over to my website, www.leesims.com, where you can sign up to the free newsletter. Until next time, train smart and have fun.